0: And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is April 27th, 2021. And today's guest is Chad Sylvester from Exodus Trail Cameras. All right, all right. Thank you everybody for tuning in to the fall podcast this week. We have another great episode, episode 158 to be exact. And like I said earlier, today's guest is the owner, founder of Exodus Trail Cameras, Chad Sylvester. Today's episode is a very good one. And we talk a lot about Exodus as a whole, but we also get into the weeds on how basically trail cams, how they changed the way Chad Scouts and hunts and how he approaches things. That's not the whole conversation. What we talk about. There's a lot of other things in here also, but it's just a good conversation. Chad's a really cool guy. Um, this is the first time I ever got to talk to Chad. I appreciate him coming on and and really letting me you know pick his brain about Exodus and and other things as well. So I'm gonna kind of leave that right there. I don't want to like get too much. You know too deep into what we're gonna be talking about. I want you guys to enjoy it firsthand. You know, listening to it from Chad. So, a um, couple housekeeping things before we do get into this: go to iamhumanable.com. Check out all of our new stories, new art, new content. We got written word. We got blog. Um, oh man, we got episodes on there. New episodes, semi-live here. Turkey season this week. We're dropping two new episodes from the last couple days. By the time you're listening to this, they might be live. If not. They're, they're coming this week. So two really good hunts. Uh, the one hunt with Casey's son, Ryder, unbelievable hunt. It was really cool, It really fast, to be honest with you. Got him right off the roost. But probably the second biggest bird I've ever, eastern anyway, I've ever been a part of and seen taken. Giant beard. Gi- giant beard, yeah, it is a giant beard, but it's a giant bird. I want you guys to watch that. So go over to the website, IamHumanal.com. Check all that stuff out. And I think that's basically all I got for this week. Thank you guys for all the support, all the downloads. Hopefully you guys enjoy this week's episode with Chad Sylvester, so I'm going to kick it over to that interview, and thank you guys very much. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast, and today I have Chad Sylvester from Exodus Trail Cams on. Chad, welcome to the podcast, and thank you very much for coming on, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm pretty pumped up to have a conversation today. It should be exciting.
0: I am too, you know, I just told you off record, when I record podcast, it's like a release for me, it's like a getaway, I like doing it, it just kind of let my hair down and just like talk deer hunting and strategy and everything to go with it because, you know, just like you and everybody else out there, you get wrapped up in life week to week and it's like this is kind of my release, so I'm excited about this.
1: Absolutely, yeah, me too.
0: Well, cool, man. I, I I do want to start off first. I want to, you to kind of give a brief bio of you know people that might listen to this that don't know who Exodus is and know who you are. So, kind of give everybody that little elevator. Yeah. This is who I am and and what I do.
1: Sure. Yeah. We'll give you the, we'll give you the brief elevator speech. Um, so I'm Chad Sylvester, co-owner, co-founder of Exodus Outdoor Gear, which is essentially Exodus Trail Cameras. Um, we reside and call home base northeast Ohio, around the the Warren Ohio area, which is just a stone throw away from uh, the Pennsylvania state line. So we're in the eastern part of the state. But um, Exodus is a direct to consumer uh, company that we launched back in 2015. Um, so we've been at it in May. It'll be six years. In May May will be our our six year anniversary. So we're beyond um, you know we're beyond a startup, but we're still not uh what I would call like a major force or a major player in the industry. I mean, we're still a relatively small company. Um but everything that we do really revolves around that business model. I know that you know it seems these days direct to consumer is a kind of a, a buzzword or marketing yep. term that gets thrown thrown around a ton. Um and there's often companies that say they're D2C and are really omnichannel, but um since the, you know, since the inception of Exodus, we've been D2C. And really, our you know coming to market, we saw just like really two main niches or two main areas that needed to be addressed in the trail camera marketplace. one of them was product longevity, trying to get cameras to last longer than a dang year, and then the other was just to have a have a support system in place to not only provide customer service but also product support and product education, sure. Because, you know, trail cameras have been around, well, the digital trail cameras have been around since the early 2000s. And so we've had people using these things for, you know, 15 plus years. And there's really never been an entity that has taken the forefront or taken leadership on educating people um, around how these things actually work, how you you can get more out of them, uh, and and the best way to use them. Um, So that's kind of, you know, if you were to wrap up our mission statement, um, in just a few short words, it would be, you know, we're a D2C trail camera company that wants to, to make trail camera users have better experiences through our content, through our products.
0: That's perfect. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there's not a lot of education out there on trail cams and everything. I feel like I fall into this as well. Like when I go on and buy a trail cam, me, it was like, I want, quantity over quality but then within a year or two you're throwing that trail cam away i've done it numerous times right. and you know and then you're just in the longevity you're spending more and more money year after year doing it or you know buying more cameras and you're like what the hell are you scratching your head you know you're and it's like gosh dang like i'm wrapping so much money up into it and then your wife looks at you like you need more trail cams and i'm like well you got to understand these ones i threw these ones out and she's like Yeah. It's, I feel like everybody goes through it, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, you know, prior to Exodus, that's exactly where we were as truck camera users and and consumers. It was, you know, jumping from brand or jumping from model to model, you know, with new models coming out every year, trying to find out what would work best for us. And there is a time and place I feel where quantity does trump quality. Um, It just kind of depends on the scenario. I mean, even the twenty-five, thirty-dollar Tasco cameras that you can get certainly have their place in um, you know certain people's arsenal. So yeah. I don't want to, definitely don't want to uh, come off as you know if you're not using high-end or top you know top-end trail cameras or gear, then you're doing it wrong because that's certainly not the case.
0: Yeah, and that that makes total sense. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, some guys hunt over bait. Or something. It's just like I just need a camera, one camera that goes over this and just needs to take a picture. You know, you get those guys and it's like, well, I don't want to spend 30 or 40 bucks. And it's like, well, I guess you got this option, (laughs) you know? So um, I guess when, when Exodus, when you were you and your partners were building Exodus and like wanting to launch it, was it always something in your head that you wanted to be direct to consumer? Or was it could it be an option where it's like you know, you are in a box store like Cabela's, Bash Pro, something like that?
1: No, it was really from the beginning, um, consumer direct. And, you know, in the early days, KU was just kind of getting their foothold in the Western apparel or hunting, uh, hunting apparel space. And we followed, um, we followed their model pretty, pretty closely, but even outside of the hunting industry, we looked at companies like, um. You know, purple the purple mattress company, and all these larger e-commerce companies leveraging the internet, and we found ourselves, um, you know, three. I'm going to say, normal guys. You know, we we all three of us came from the construction industry. None of us really had deep pockets, and we started this company really with no money. I mean, we started with like 60 or 70 grand, and uh, we pretty much bootstrapped and taught ourselves how to do everything from um you know product development marketing i mean just top to bottom of running a company like we had no experience we just figured it out as we went but because of that we knew we had to leverage the internet um as much as possible to make this thing work and to be totally honest we were way in over our heads um you know we were uh, probably a little naive, a little bit <laughs> ignorant, <laughs> but excited and, and ambitious uh, when we when we got going, and you know the company's changed a lot since 2015. But I think um, you know being ambitious and being driven, and just being stubborn and too dumb to quit ultimately has what led us, um, you know, to finding success. And I'm going to say success as being a profitable company. Yep. Uh, you know, in 2018, 2019, and. Uh, it seems like each each year we're growing um, very substantially and taking a little, just a tiny more chunk of market share. So it's been a it's been an unbelievable journey.
0: Yeah, and that's what's so cool to me about like you guys hearing something like that. You guys are so driven. So to me, as like a consumer wanting to get at this product, I know it's not going to be just a piece of crack crap. Product. I mean, you're driven enough to put your life and your family's life on the line to build this company and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to spit out something dumb and stupid and not work. You know what I mean? You're going to put all your energy and time into this and money and it's ultimately you guys have built, uh, are, are building an empire in my opinion. I mean, what I look at from a distance, you guys are a sexy brand, um, for a lack of a better word. I love, like, (laughs) you know, it, it's part of it. I always, I'm a big sports guy. So it's like, look good, play good, play good, feel good, feel good. You know yep. what I mean? Like yep. if you look good, you're supposed to be there. You know what I mean? And, uh, when I look at Exodus, it's just a part, it's just a brand I look at and you're like, I want to be a part of that somehow, some way, shape or form. I want to stick around my truck or I want one other, you know, that is like a major part in my eyes in that. I mean, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like you guys are doing the right things. And, you know, with being direct to consumer, I got to imagine there's got to be some bumps and, you know, bumps and everything down the road, trying to get the knowledge out there about your cameras and everything. Would that be correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, a, you know, an obstacles to overcome. Um, it's, you know, that hurdle is becoming lesser and lesser, I think. And, Part of that is just a product of being in business six years versus two years. You know, the first two or three years, is we would get so many phone calls and emails, and and people, um, you know, inquiring, saying they've never heard of us. Well, if, you know, of course, we're um, not in any box stores. We're not in any retailers. We don't have um, a retail, you know, a reseller's program. So literally the only way you're going to find us is, um, you know, through e-commerce, uh, any marketing campaigns that we do through social, um, and you know, our website, maybe Amazon, Amazon, depending on our inventory levels. So there's, you know, I've been lucky enough to have Jake, uh, pretty much by my side, you know, Jake, um, I mentioned how the company has really evolved over, over the last six years. You know, when we started, there were, there were, uh, two other co-founders, my brother and one of my very good hunting friends, um, and unfortunately things just didn't, you know, we were going through some rough times, things weren't jiving. Um, so Jake had been interning for us at that time and we brought him on full time while the original ownership was still in place. But then just a few months later, we, uh, we decided to make a transition into different ownership and bought those guys out and moved on. And, and when it comes to, you know, you mentioned, mentioned branding and marketing, and that is really, uh, that is really all Jake. I'd love to sit here and say that yeah, I've I've done all that stuff, you know, with my my own two, <laughs> two hands, but the reality of it is um Jake's a big part of our branding and marketing and uh he he definitely takes the lead and um does the majority of the heavy lifting on that end. And I think that's one of the cool things, you know, you you start a you start a business and start a brand and you start it small. I mean, I can remember remember the days when just tiny little office or we working on the garage. And, um, now we're bringing people on board and personnel on board and you've, you've seen guys go from an intern to owning part of the company into a leadership position. And now we have guys underneath of us who were working towards other leadership positions. So, uh, you know, running a company is cool. Running the brand is cool. And, and, you know, having it recognized nationally or, you know, whatever nationwide is yep. cool, but the leadership aspect from, you know, growing the culture within the company, I think is, um, one of the coolest things. And it's unfortunate that not everybody gets to see that from the outside looking in. Right. But, you know, inside this office and inside of our, our culture, that's, to me, that's the biggest um, uh, biggest accomplishment is is seeing people grow within our, with, within our company.
0: That's so cool. And I feel like it snowballs so quickly, it feels like, oh, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. One thing, you have like six employees, the next time you have like 30, it's like, wow, two years, holy crap, how'd we grow that right. big? Right. You know. Now, from you know a leadership role like yourself and ownership and everything do you feel like you know the trail cam like everything else but the trail cam world is ever evolving I feel like constantly I feel like if you don't jump on it now it's like it's forgotten about it's just like cameras in general like photo cameras or video cameras if you don't jump on it it's like you know it's gone it's old news now do you feel like whether it's in your head or do you feel like you need to stay ahead like all, every month, every year, like, you need to be developing something new all the time. Do you have that feeling?
1: Um, Yes and no. More more so not. Um, the, you know, the trail camera space does move very fast. When you look at it, you know, between all the major players and, you know, all the retailers, I guess, the, the, the normal retail brands, every year people are spitting out new models. And, you know, regardless of what that... Development of that product included. There's not a whole lot changing. I think the biggest thing that has changed over the last 24 months is the move from standard SD card cameras to cellular cameras. I yep. mean, they've finally, you know, last year in 2020, it seemed like they finally hit critical mass. They finally hit mass social acceptance, and you've seen the market shift. Um, you know, so with that, in in that regard, yes. Um, but we take the kind of the Apple approach. Um yep. not that we're anything near Apple, but you know, Apple's never been a company, relatively speaking, to have like the newest, greatest, um, most hip technology. They're focused on building and making efficient products to make workflow easier, um, you know, the branding, the quality of the product, and to make the use the end user experience um, you know, the highest it can be. So that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the approach that we take. We never you know, we're always working Um, or I'm always working on R and D and looking at, you know, different chipsets and image sensors and and different things of that nature, but we're never going to be a company that has, you know, millions of dollars to spend on R and D to spit out 10 new models a year. Like that's just, it'll never be us. I don't think there's a need for that in a marketplace than the way that we run our business. Um, so we've, we've, you know, since the beginning, we've taken the approach at, you know, let's work on a product. When it's right and when it's done, we'll release it. I don't. It doesn't matter if it's June. It doesn't matter if it's July. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, January. When it's done and when it's right, it's it. You know, we'll bring it to market. So that's kind of the approach that we've taken. And um, I think part of that goes back to having control being D2C. Like, we don't have to have a product at ATA or we don't have to have a product um, at a buy group show to for retailers to write orders. It's kind of on our time and on our timeline.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could definitely see, you know, if you were that company, obviously that's spitting out like 10 new products a year, that might be a, a, a way to also like expedite the price or expedite the process of possibly like outgrowing yourself, if that makes sense. Or like really maybe the quality will go down, which you pride yourself on because you're just trying to spit out new things and try to stay ahead of the game. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer in the Apple model. Like when we're designing something or even me editing a video or something for work, I like to look at the Apple, you know, the Apple process. And they're, mm-hmm. when you look at their logo, it's like they've never changed their logo. It's an Apple with a with a bite out of it. It's clean. It's timeless. Exactly. It's timeless. And you know what it is when you see it. Um, and you know what you're getting for quality in and, and a product. And I love that. I love it. Yep. Now, you have, you guys offer three cameras right now. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So you, and you have, you were talking about cell cams. Now, with that shift of the cell cams, you guys have a cell cam. Now, was that like a big transition or was it, you know, something like we got to jump on this now to, to, to really get something out there?
1: Um, I think that we were, uh, it was a little bit of, a little bit of both. Um, We, we were starting to feel a little bit of pressure with, um, You know the uptick of 3G sales or 3G camera sales, um, primarily, mostly coming from from Spartan. They've really been the leader in the in the cellular trail camera space, and probably still are to be to be totally honest. So we knew, you know, with cellular technology evolving and 4G starting to kind of be rolled out, that we needed to have a solution um, for a wireless or cellular trail camera. So jumping into that. Um, there's a lot more, oh man, there's so much more that goes into a cellular product versus, um, you know, a standard SD card camera, not just on, you know, the camera side, but when you start looking at, you know, the cellular side and the certification process and, um, you know, the mobile application, you know, people really under underestimate the mobile application and the experience that uh, a consumer has with that from a from a design standpoint in our mind it's like you buy a cell camera and hopefully you're only handling that thing maybe once or twice a year and it's you know it's out in the woods doing its thing right but with the mobile app like you're interacting with that every single day like that's the mobile app is the experience for sure it's the bigger bigger part of the experience and we went in circles and circles and circles on what to do with that and none of us here are are coders or developers so we were looking at, you know, what do we do here? Do we do we bring somebody in? Do we hire somebody and do this internally? Do we outsource it and, you know, just pay maintenance fees as we need updates and to make changes and whatnot? And out of the blue, we got a cold email from a company um, that was building an application called Scout Tech. And um, those guys are out of Georgia. We ended up onboarding with them. Um to offer that you know that mobile app solution, so it was a good fit because their coders, their their developers, they do it every single day, so they can stay you know up to date and current with any changes that need needed to be taken place or updates with any app. So they're really a big part of that. Um, you know, Scott Tech is really a big part of that that Render 4G uh, cell camera that we offer because again, the the mobile application is as big or bigger part of that user experience than the actual physical product so it was a big um, you know that was a big project for us Um, that you know development on that went about 18 20 months so you know for anyone thinking about how fast or what it takes to you know get a product to market um, that was definitely it definitely pushed us uh, in in every aspect
0: that's that's really cool and I love to to hear that the experience to you guys is like a big thing because that's what people are looking for now they they don't want to come somewhere and just you know just one-stop deal like i the way i think is i want people to stay there i want people to look at different things and you know you offer different things on you know an experience you want them to go there and and have a story told to them or you know convenience as well like that's that's huge that's awesome right yep now with exodus and everything i love everything you guys do i said that before like the white tail cribs and everything i watch every yeah, one yeah. that's really cool and that like opens up for me being uh, a viewer of that it opens up a lot of avenues to people that you know i didn't even know existed you know like mm-hmm. guys that have bucks on their wall that there's like a hundred deer on their wall and it's like, oh my God, like and they're giants. Yeah. Like these guys you never heard of them like, man, that's really cool and to hear their story. Um, but that's that's neat how you do that. And that's just that right there is a good marketing tool to me. I mean, you took an idea, obviously that was already out there, but made it into our space and nailed it. Personally, <laughs> I think you yeah. did. Um but what are some of those ways I'm I'm kind of getting to the like the experience and getting your education, your knowledge out there, like what are some of those ways that you guys are, are looking forward to getting more info out there from Exodus um, about your cameras, about your business and everything uh, other than just your website, you know, like on YouTube or digital, you know, ads, stuff like that.
1: Well, you know, for us, the, we kind of take like the Gary V, approach of the web web 2.0 like yep we're not running a bunch of ads or hitting people buy now here you know we're the best trail camera company we've never taken that approach and our approach was if you offer value you'll be able to gain people's attention and then you know to hold that attention you have to continually offer value and then at some point when you have that value um or that attention value-based trust then you can leverage that into into sales and that's really the approach that we've taken um from the beginning you know we started a podcast a couple years ago and the podcast you know we try to travel around and do most of our interviews in person when we can and you know the first thing that happens when you show up to somebody's house and talk deer hunting is you like they take you in their their trophy room (laughs) where they have their mounts and they want to talk and tell the stories and we're like we should just do a podcast about this yep um and then that turned into like hey let's just make a spin off of a, of off of uh, MTV Cribs and you know the rest i guess is history but um the the youtube stuff has been a big resource um on just putting out educational videos and then anybody goes and watches any of the stuff that you know any of the production stuff we're putting out on youtube and next to zero of it is us talking about you know where the Latest, greatest, best trail camera company. It's it's us trying to offer that value and educating people on how PIR sensors work. What's the best way to you know place a camera on a trail? Um, how to get better nighttime images? How you know what settings can save battery life in a cell camera? Um, just top to bottom, ninety nine percent of the stuff that we do is educational. If you go to our blog, if you get on Google and type anything in, um, what's the best SD card for a trail camera? one of our blogs pops up if you type in uh what are the best tro camera batteries our blog pops up <laughs> yeah. so a lot of the stuff that people are craving or searching or wanting to learn um that's where we focused most of our i'm going to call them marketing efforts but it is essentially it's efforts in us becoming that authoritative figure in educating people in this space and in return it turns in it turns into marketing
0: yeah, that's and that's cool, and I like to hear you talk about like what are the settings that make your camera last longer. Like I don't even know that. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I just, I do mess with trail cam settings on my trail cams, but then I always use lithium batteries. I just feel like I'm a firm believer believer in th- lithiums and absolutely. You know you have to, in my opinion, um, alkalines and whatever other batteries out there, the Walmart batteries, they just don't cut it. Uh, yeah. maybe in the summer when it's like blistering hot, they'll last a little bit longer but I mean yep. lithium's last by far the longest. so that's yes. cool that you guys are diving in that detail that that to me alone shows like how much you put into your product and how much you know you care about everything and the consumer. you care about changing their way and ultimately saving them money in the long run too.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Well, I, I kind of want to do a hard transition here. Um, talked a little bit about that, but I want to kind of get into your hunting, your trail cam strategies and different ways that you apply these strategies. Um, first and foremost, I guess the question is that I want to know is how many trail cams are you personally running?
1: Oh, I have anywhere. It depends on the time of the year, but anywhere from 50 to a hundred cameras out, um, personally uh you know come fall that number creeps up towards 100 or you know, <laughs> maybe t- touch over 100 i think last year we were i lay i have a labeling system for all my cameras and when you start running that uh, that amount of cameras it takes some serious um organization to keep everything <laughs> stinking straight so in that label labeling system i can remember putting out like camera 104 or something oh um, my gosh so i know it's right around there this time of year You know, I do a lot of stuff on public, so a lot of times in February I'll go back and I pull a lot of cameras down um, and then, you know, bring them in, clean them up, do my winter maintenance or whatever, and then I'll deploy them back out in the summertime. So right now I maybe 30, 40, 50 cameras um, this time of year. That's about about average.
0: And right now, so like we're recording this uh, early April, like what are, right now, what are you trying to capture? Like what is your strategy for trail cams? Like what are you hoping to get?
1: Not much right now, honestly. I've already done all my postseason surveys. I know what deer have made it. Um, you know, We're kind of past shed season coming in, into turkey season. There's really not a whole lot that I'm personally running cameras for. Um, if there's a specific deer, something very specific I'm trying to figure out on a deer that I have previous history with, I'll leave cameras out in that area and just try to maybe pinpoint or gather additional information on different travel routes or where he's spending time or, or food sources. But this time of year is really the, the trail camera, what we call a trail camera law. Um, I don't personally think there is actually a whole lot of valuable information that you can gain right now. Um, you know, if you haven't done your postseason survey stuff and, have a, you know, have tabs on what your deer herd looks like or what, you know, what kind of doe population or buck population or, you know, the the overall health right. of the deer on your property. If you haven't gotten that figured out, I think you could still do that now. Um, but outside of that, you know, there's nothing that I'm running cameras for right now to put into place come October and November to kill a buck.
0: Okay. I, I was just curious. I didn't know if it was turkey scouting or, you know, if it's... Um what, what, you, what are you usually... Because I usually, in the past, I've kept cameras out all year and honestly, some of it was just being lazy, but other parts was just being like, I want to see where the deer are yarding up and how they're using a certain area still at this time, um, but then it's just like I'm spending more in batteries and, and more wear and tear on your camera and I just took them down and now, like this time of year, I'm using some of my cell cams for uh, security reasons and I like doing Absolutely. that and... Um, you know, so that's kind of my tactic right now. But you, yeah. you mentioned um, winter, like winterizing your cameras or, you know, getting them cleaned up and everything. Like, what do you? What are some of your processes that you take that actually help, you know, saving a camera, you know, with the longevity yeah. of everything?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing that we do is, um, you know, get the cameras in. I basically just clean them up, wipe them down or take an air duster, keyboard cleaner, get all the grime and crap, tree sap and dirt and stuff off of them. Uh, Take the batteries, battery tray out, take the batteries out. I actually take little silica packs that, you know, you could buy, I don't know, 50 of them on Amazon for like 20 bucks. And I just throw a silica pack in the camera and make sure the firmware is current or up to date. Um, And that's pretty much it. Uh, Leave the batteries out, take the SD card out, just basically clean them up, make sure the firmware is up to date. And I pack them away with those silica packs. And then I basically just leave them um, in the office or in my garage until usually... May June is when I start to okay um, put cameras back out. So um yeah, nothing real complicated. Make sure the firmware's update, clean them up, and just make sure you're storing them in a in a dry, you know, a, a decent place.
0: Yep, dry is definitely key. I yeah. ruined a couple cameras not doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll learn quick when you um, <laughs> when you open up your camera bag in like June July when you're trying to get them out, and it's like you know the batteries are corroded or not the batteries, but the like. Everything's corroded in there, and you're yeah. like, "Well, now I got to get a new tray or get a new camera or something like yeah. that," and it's yeah, disaster. But yeah. Uh, I guess with the cell cam craze, have you really yourself? Have you transitioned to more cell cams, or are you kind of like fifty-fifty?
1: Um, I have not transitioned to more cell cameras, only because I hunt almost primarily public ground in Ohio and it's a pretty remote section or part of the state and cell coverage is pretty just, it's just too limited for me to put them to good use. Um, a lot of times when I'm down there, I'm often, I find myself hunting for a camera location based on cell service rather than deer data. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, I do have some cell cameras out on ridge tops and, you know, areas where i can get service but the majority of the cameras that i'm using there on that public land setting are just regular sd card cameras but back home i mean we have i don't know i there's probably 20 cell cameras scattered around different properties um keeping tabs on different deer or using them for security like you mentioned earlier but you know in this stage of my hunting career i guess you could call it that um you know the county that we live in just doesn't offer the kind of deer that I want to hunt. So I often find myself traveling, um, you know, four or five, six hours to even hunt in my own state. So yep. it's, um, a little bit, a little bit crazy on that end, but on the flip side of that, for any out of state trips, I know that we're getting ready to, I just applied for Kansas with a point in my pocket yesterday. Oh, you'll, um, you'll
0: draw. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly.
1: I should draw guaranteed. So, uh, in May, we're going to go out and um, turkey hunt, and then put some put some cell cameras out. As long as I guess I'll have to read some some regs there to make sure I'm not yep. violating anything. But um, yeah, that's the plan. And so, in an out of state scenario, I think, or even a lease scenario, or you know, anywhere where you're driving any any uh, sizable amount of distance, I think you know that's obvious one of the obvious benefits of cell cams.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I've equated it before different farms, different types of farms. Like I have, I have two farms here in Michigan. One is a small woodlot farm, and the other one is like big timber. Uh, that small woodlot farm is exclusive, like cell cams. Um, when I'm, I mean, four acres or less is where I'm putting cell cams because I'm mainly using those cell cams for making sure I'm not bumping deer out of there. Um, when I'm going in. And that's huge for me. Uh, I had a scenario last year where I was going into the stand and I was about 100, 150 yards away from my stand. And before I got in the timber, I kind of like refreshed and there were deer underneath my stand and the buck I was trying to kill already. So oh. <laughs> it was, some people might say that's not fair, but You know, uh, that's about as far as I take it. Like I would never say, okay, he's in there. I'm going to go shoot him with a gun or something like that. Um, but it is very beneficial in the time that I have to be able to put forth hunting with my job and everything. Like I'm trying to, you know, dot all my I's and cross all my T's. Like I'm trying to stay meticulous with everything, but those smaller woodlots, I really find cell cams being very beneficial. Absolutely.
1: Um, Yeah. I think that's, you know, um the time savings, the efficiency, and then, you know, cutting down on human intrusion are, you know, those are the biggest, the biggest factors using a cell camera not, you know, being able to keep tabs on what is going on without intruding, I think is, you know, you, it, it's worth more than any cell camera that you pay for. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's awesome. hundred percent. It. It's just awesome.
0: It really is. And, you know, I figured I had a. I would start, have to start taking up basket weaving or something because I was spending way too much time in timber when I shouldn't have been. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I bought two cell cams and I'm like, I didn't have that urge to go check them anymore because every morning I'd wake up and I'd have pictures to look at. I'm like, okay, I got my fix. Right. I'm good. And just go yep. on with your day. So yep. it's really helped um, with my success, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. I think ultimately, you know, even with guys running regular SD card cameras, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is checking their cameras too often um you know as we earlier in the podcast or maybe it was off air we were talking about um you know how your camera strategies have evolved and yeah um you know personally and ours have really too when you really have um that amount of cameras that we run you know which is not typical for a normal not typical for a normal person but just after a couple years of running the um you know, large amount of cameras, the amount of data that you pull and can reference really changed the way we were looking at pictures and the way that we started run, running cameras in you know the following years. And with standard SD card cameras, we've really taken um, more of a long-term or annual approach to how we run those cameras, um, where we're using, you know, specific information on specific deer for the next season. You um, know, you know, that is not anything new. Don Higgins was writing and talking about that in 2012, 2013. But for us, it just didn't really click or make sense until we started to see it with our own eyes, with our cameras.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess when I was talking about my evolve evolving as, you know, a camera guy, before I always thought that I needed to have history with this buck or, you know, I, I needed to know he was there all the time. Since I was not successful with that and fit, you know, having to come to Jesus with myself and figuring out, well, you're in there way too much. Um, I've since like taken majority of my cameras and I'll put them in spots that I've never put them before. Like good, good spots, I feel like, but I've never hunted them um, or have never been in that area. And I'll just let them marinate the whole year. Um, you know, if I, if I get a wild hair in my butt and it's like a rainy day, just a terrible day. And I know I can get in there to go check it. I might do that, but I'll tell you in the last three years, pulling those cameras after season and going back and figuring out that there was a shooter buck early October, like for instance, this area, um, one of these areas on my family farm, never hunted it, never nothing, didn't have a tree stand. I was like, you know, I'm going to put an area or put a camera on this, this, this really hard-used trail coming out of this bedding to see what happens. Well, from October 10th to October 25th, there was 18 different bucks in daylight using this camera or using this trail, and I would have never known that. And right. I think over half of them were shooter bucks. And it's wow. like the next year we had a, can- or a stand in there, knew we needed to hunt at, the, at that time. One yeah. of my buddies went in there and actually missed a really good buck the first, first time in, and we're like, holy shit. You know, yep. Um, yep. so that was really eye-opening. And then it just evolved to like the cell cams. I've got two cell cams that I like to use. But like I said, I use those just for, yes, I uh, like to monitor things, but in the smaller acre pieces where I don't want to go in there at all, that's where I really, really try to hone in on th- those cameras in those spots.
1: Right. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, is that something that you kind of did as well with your, you know, before you owned Exodus and still ran cameras, were you kind of in that same ballpark of like, uh, you know, checking them too much. And then once, you know, you wanted to take your trail cam game to the next level and then really started thinking, I need to, you know, think about this differently. Was that kind of the same thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the common, common case with a lot of people. So before I really made the transition to hunting uh, bigger woods or big wood pieces. Um, I grew up hunting a family farm, you know, 150 acres, which now has turned into almost four or 500 acres, but growing up hunting that it wasn't, um, it was a piece where any decent deer hunter could go in and you would kill 150 or have a chance at a 150 every single year. I mean, it was a primo piece of ground. Um, you know, if you paid attention to the wind and just didn't do anything really dumb, you know, hunting through the rut, You'd have a chance at a good buck, um, but then as I started to evolve and like hunting during the rut is is one thing, but wanting to kill a deer like on its on its own terms or you know in the early season where it was, I guess bad juju to go hunt deer you know in October because it's not November, <laughs> at least in my in my family it was like something that you just didn't do. Um, it changed because you started I wanted to run cameras I wanted to know what was going on and then the more and more you went in there the less fruitful that became um so you know as we started to kind of figure out what the heck was going on there at that time I had already started transition into um big woods hunting which you know we live in northeast Ohio so it's one of the more populated areas in the state so we had to drive several hours to you know go do anything or check cameras or get it on any good leases or public ground. So it was never, once I made that transition, it was never that we were checking cameras every couple of weeks because it just didn't fit into life. You know, we couldn't just sure. drive three hours one way and go check cameras every week. Um, right. So it turned into like a monthly thing. But then even beyond that, when we got to Exodus and we started running just a vast amount of cameras, you know, when you have a hundred cameras in a woods, you can't go around and check all of them. It's, it's impossible, especially in the big woods where you're walking a mile or two miles between cameras. Like it's just not physically possible. So we would set cameras up in new locations and, you know, we would pre-scout or post-season scout these and say, okay, these are the, the areas we want to run cameras. And we'd go hang cameras and then just not go check them till the next, you know, the, the following post-season. And then what we came to, like the realization that we found was year over year over year, just like what you said, bucks will tend to do the same thing within a couple of days. So when we have daylight photos of certain deer on, you know, a scrape or in a certain area around a bedding area or a food source, you know, as long as the, the variables um, remain the same the following year, those deer are going to do the same thing. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's, that's really what, you know, that was really the big thing um, that changed our, changed our strategy or my strategy
0: yeah definitely and actually you just made me think of a scenario i had this year in a camera i put deep in kind of on the edge of our swamp and our family farm and there was a buck that we were trying to hone in on and the neighbor ended up killing him. but as i went back and checked that camera after season I figured out he was living in about a three-acre to five-acre little area. And for five days straight, he was on that camera in daylight. And wow. it was like, but when you think about it, when you get that information, and then you really think about why was he there? Well, nobody was there. Nobody goes back there. You know okay. what I mean? Like, he w- he knew he was secluded. He knew he was safe. And he was, just, he was just doing deer things, like big buck things. Like, it's so cool to see... Uh, to see that in his own element and honestly another thing that helped me was running cameras on video mode Um, video mode learn I learned a lot just deer behavior alone Um, and this this deer alone in five days I think I had probably over 20 to 30 videos of them you know and it's crazy to see like when you when you only run pictures it's like okay he's coming from the right and he leaves to the left it's like But then you, like I've flipped that to video, when you think he's coming from the right, he actually came in from in front of the camera, looped way around, you know, and you think he comes from behind the camera, when really you just didn't know. And video mode has been a game changer for me. Do do you kind of feel the same way?
1: Uh, 100%. And I was always stubborn about running video mode um, because my camera's set for so long that I'm worried about you know cards filling up or buying bigger capacity cards running them and then of course battery life and whatnot but you know jake's been a big um proponent of or a fan of running video mode in all of his cameras so as i've kind of transitioned into that i've seen the same exact thing there's no needed or i shouldn't say no but you're less likely to have to draw conclusions that you talked about right because there's just more evidence of You know what that deer is doing, and then also his behavior as far as his personality—is he aggressive? Is he passive? You know,
0: hundred percent.
1: So there's just a lot more information. If you're, you know, if you're a guy looking to target specific deer, you know, running cameras on video mode is the only way to do it.
0: (laughs) It's really fun too when you, you get some of the coolest videos. I mean, does beating the heck out of each other, or you know, a fawn and a mom interacting—like it's so cool—and you learn so much about deer behavior in my opinion um if so what would be the chad sylvester like like settings that he would run for a video to to put on video camera to get the best out of that to have the most because like you said and i'm even worried about oh my card's gonna fill up like Mm -hmm. what card would you be using and what would be the settings you'd be using now i know things vary you might have it on a food plot or a, you know, a a corn pile, if you can, or something like, I know that varies, but, um, what would be your like go-to settings and card, you know, card selection for that?
1: The, the very most important thing I think when it comes to trail camera placement is making the things not noticeable to deer. And I'll, I'll start there because I think oftentimes guys are scouting, you know, they find a scrape or something and they throw that camera up, um, right in a deer's face and i know every deer is different and a lot of deer don't care but we have like this spook proof equation i guess it's what we call it That we kind of try to go through that to hide our cameras to make them less obvious um to deer because a lot of times when we're placing these cameras if we're getting daylight activity like we're hunting where that camera is
0: right exactly Um,
1: so we're trying to always put our cameras no closer than 20 feet to The area that we want to monitor. So if that's a scraper trail, we're at least 20 feet away from that. We always want to be perpendicular, not parallel to that target, um, just because that's the way PIR sensors work. Uh, We're trying to get that thing, you know, six to eight feet off the ground. We don't like belly or chest high. We like to be a little higher than that, but we don't want it so high that you're creating a void in the the detection zone. Um, A lot of times we're not using straps. We're using paracord to make that less noticeable. Um, we're trying to b- put it on a bigger tree where the camera's not profiled or, um, if you have a split trunk tree. So a lot of the stuff that you would think about, like hanging a stand, we're doing that when we hang our cameras as well. Just, you know, at different, different elevations, of course. Yeah. That's but when interesting. You get into, when you get into settings, uh, for video mode for the longest time, I would just run, um, 30 second videos. And that was, you know, 30 seconds is good just because I don't know, it was a, seemed like a whole round number. 30 seconds seemed like enough time. So um, You know that's where I started, but then the more data I collected and reviewed, I found that that thirty seconds was like eight to twelve seconds too short. So now I'm actually running forty five second videos. Really? So just yes. Okay. Um, just to just to get that additional information, but you can combat that a little bit with trigger delay. If your camera can run a shorter trigger delay, you can run a shorter trigger delay. And not have to worry about that longer video, because if you have a one second recovery time, one second trigger delay, you know, if that deer is still in frame after that 30 seconds, you're only going to miss a second of that video. So some of it depends on, you know, the specifications of what your what camera you're using. Right. But uh, like in a food plot setting or if on a scrape, I will run that 45 second uh, video mode and I will still run a short, the shortest trigger delay I can run. Um, I'm throwing the largest capacity card I can run, which in our case, it's a 64 gig card. Um, and that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Now, if I get in a, a situation where I'm running cameras um, in a static environment, a static environment is what we can would consider like um, bait stations, feeders, mineral sites, areas where you can kind of dictate deer movement. You can put them in that space or that spot and you know they're going to spend a lot amount of time there then i'm running a little bit shorter video clip i'll go back down to 30 seconds i'll run a longer trigger delay like maybe a minute or two because deer are going to be frequenting that area because it's you know high high traffic high interest because of the food or the bait or whatever that's there and i know that they're going to spend a bunch of time there so i don't need to run a short trigger delay and have 50 videos of the right. same doe family group or whatnot um, so i think you know when you're there's different settings applicable to different scenarios. So the, you know, the first thing I think you need to think about when you're setting cameras up, you know, go through the spook equation thing and then try to, try to ask yourself, is this a dynamic setting where deer can kind of come through here and move and they're not, you know, the movement's not defined and they're just passing through and they're not spending a, a lot amount of time there. Or is it a static environment where, you know, you can, pinpoint and put deer where you want them and you know they're going to spend a bunch of time there so those are you know and they both scenarios um are going to result in completely you know different different settings but general settings yeah 30 to 45 second video settings um i put the longest or the biggest capacity card you can fit in there make sure you're running energizer lithium batteries you're getting you know two and a half or three times the capacity out of those versus alkaline batteries um and then the rest is kind of subjective to you know what else is going on in that specific area
0: that's awesome that's that's great information especially spook proof in your like that it's something that i think about it as well but like i didn't i don't give myself a standard of like 20 feet you know what i mean or a profile and like i that's that's great information to to go through and the paracord idea I think I'm gonna switch everything over to Paracord.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> feel like so all the straps are so
0: oh yeah, and so much less obtrusive too. I mean Yeah. Um yeah, yeah that's a great idea. Uh now with the video mode, because I run a lot of mine on 30 second videos. Mm-hmm. Now, what was it that triggered you that you needed more video time?
1: Well, there was uh there's two specific sets. One I can think of It's a big primary scrape between bedding areas. It's in hill country. um, On a lower one-third, there's a bench on a lower one-third, giant scrape there. A couple hundred yards to the north. Yeah, a couple hundred yards to the north, there's a bedding point. And then a couple hundred yards to the south, there's doe bedding up on top. And often I would find, you know, deer would, this is specifically through November, late October, November, but I would get does coming down that ridge, down the hillside, Um, and that video would be, I don't know, 15 seconds. And then 10 seconds later, I'd have a five second clip of a buck coming through there. And then there would be, you know, a five second trigger delay. And then the next video would be a series of another buck and another buck. And I just want to be able to get all of that in one video and not have to draw conclusions of in that five second, uh, trigger delay. Did that doe cut in front of the camera and go back to the South or she had North or, is it just a buck train following that doe and she's out of the frame of the camera? So it's just a matter of, you know, we talked about running video mode versus photo mode, not having to draw those conclusions. And for me, just extending that video time by 15 seconds seemed to take some of those, um, uh, you know, take... Conclusions seemed, out of there. Yeah, it, it seemed to take some of the, me having to draw those conclusions out of out of the equation. And it's still, you know, 45 seconds is still a happy medium where, you know, you're not watching you know, a two minute video, um, you're going through hundreds or thousands of two minute videos.
0: Right. And anytime you can take guesswork out of the game in hunting world, I feel like it's a plus because yeah. I feel like a lot of times we're just throwing darts at the wall, <laughs>
1: like, That's it. you That's know? It. Yeah. 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 It's funny, you know, regardless as hunters and I'm sure you do this, I find myself doing this a lot is, you know, you have uh, all this information you have like what you think is the most solid game plan in the world. And you go in to hunt, you know, deer or do whatever, hunt, hunt a property a couple of times. And it's like you couldn't be further off. Than oh, <laughs> it's
0: I, so... I agree. I feel like turkey hunting is the same way. They're like humbling creatures. It is. You know, it's it like they, they're, they're the smartest dumb bird out there. It's like, oh, yeah. man, that bird's in a perfect spot for me. Let's go get him. And then, like, he sees you, you know, <laughs> open up the latch door of the truck. And you're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah. Over before it starts.
0: Uh, and I, I feel like we just give deer too much credit, and a lot of times, you know, when they're mm-hmm. really just out there surviving, that's and they're it. very smart creatures, but, I mean, I feel like us being humans, we're like, we want it to be this, this, and this, and this is what they do. You know, it's got to be so black and white, cut and dry, like, that's what we're looking for, and it right. just never happens that way.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, I've got a couple more questions here, and... um. What do you have a scenario that y- you know? Anytime that you've ever killed a buck, that you've killed that buck because of trail cam data,
1: specifically because of trail camera data. Um, I not really. I've it's never. I've never. I've never killed a specific deer because I've gotten you know a specific picture of him mm-hmm. um, or you know one nighttime picture and said okay this deer is going to be you know killable at this time because he's in this betting location it's never seemed to work out for me um in that manner Now i've had i've had plenty of encounters with specific deer because of that Mm -hmm. but not been able to not been able to seal the deal on them yeah Um, so i've been able to put myself in positions on deer on specific deer because of trail cameras but you know, there's a running joke uh, inside our office. If somebody's gonna screw something up, it's it's gonna be me.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Now, do you feel like in your own mind that trail cams have hurt you more or helped you more in being successful?
1: No, I definitely think that they help. There's no, um, there's no, no doubt about that. I think that they can hurt you if if you use them wrong. If you're too dependent on them if you think that they're the end all be all and you're not, you know, not scouting, um I think they can't have their disadvantages or like like we talked about earlier checking them too often. So there are some downsides to them, but when they're used right and used in conjunction with scouting, it's the especially just regular SD card cameras are a great benefit, but I honestly think cellular cameras are the biggest benefit modern day deer hunters um have, have seen since, since the modern day firearm, Mm -hmm. there's the, to be able to remotely monitor um, deer activity on your property without being intrusive. It's, it changes, it changes, it changes the entire game. Yeah. So I definitely think they've helped, they've helped me and they help everyone else more than, more than they hurt.
0: For sure. Now, you know, when, when the whole cell cam shift happened, like that whole thing came and now it's like huge, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's all people get. I feel like what's your personal opinion on them? Do you, I mean, obviously you're part of a trail cam, you own a trail cam company and you design a cell cam, but like, what is your, is, is there too far that we can go with this or are we flirting with the line? Like, what's your take on that?
1: Well, I think, you know, the, the camera itself is a, it's an inanimate object. It's a tool. So I look at it as a lot like Firearms like a, a a gun is a tool, and it's up to the person using it to you know to take moral or ethical actions with with that tool um I think that you can certainly cross the line um in ethics with cell cameras, you know stringing them out, placing one over a bed and having a bunch of them on different exit trails and knowing exactly what that deer does. I think that is starting to cross the line, but then again you know what's the difference of doing that in a in a wooded timber lot or you know going to western kansas parking a mile away and glassing a deer right. and stand up from his bed and watch him so there's it's like i don't think this argument will probably ev- ever be settled because it's <laughs> we'll just yeah it's it's just one of those things where everyone's going to have a different opinion and a different view and i think that they all should be listened to but i think at the end of the day it just it it lies upon the hunter and what they deem ethical and moral and how they use that tool, you know? Um, and I, that's the, I know that's probably like a cliche answer, but, um, at the end of the day, if you think it's ethical to use that tool in a certain way, then you're okay with it by all means use it in that manner.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I honestly think, like you said, that the, the argument will never be settled because it's like, to me, it's like, mechanical versus fixed broadheads that will exactly. never ever. I mean, I don't know how many times and I've, I even bring it up on the podcast too. Like, you know, just cause I want to get a rise out of somebody, but like, <laughs> you know, uh, it'll never get settled. You know, I like, For- or I like Chevy. You might like Ford, like that'll never get settled. It's, you know, agree to disagree kind of thing, but I agree. You know, it's the ethical decisions are in the hands of the person that's Doing the doing everything, you know. I, yeah. in my personal opinion, I feel like if you have a cell cam and you're monitoring a corn pile in gun season and from the house, and you know, you see he's there and you can walk out in a field and shoot him, I feel like that's completely wrong. Um, right. there's no there's no sport to that. There's no, um, I not to say it needs to be a sport, but you know what I mean? It's just right. like shooting fish in a barrel, then yeah, why do it? Um, yeah, yeah, so. that's
1: the thing. It's like everybody. You know, I feel like, I hate to even say this, but in my opinion, hunting is, is somewhat of a selfish sport, especially when you start hunting bigger deer, you're really, it's kind of isolating yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, things become somewhat serious and some of the fun is taken out of it, some of the camaraderie. Um, and I just lost where where the heck I was going with that. But um, I, oh, I guess everybody's hunting for their own, you know, personal satisfactions or their personal reason. And I think that we get in trouble as hunters to try to project what we think is a, um, you know, requirement or required experience for the next person, because right. You know, maybe that guy only has a day or two days to hunt. So he's out there for two days. He shoots the first deer that walks by, like it's his tag. I don't, yeah. it doesn't like, who cares?
0: He paid for it. He could be termin terminally ill, you know, yeah, it could be last year when you were killed. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. And that's, I think that comes from a lot of the younger, uh, more, maybe less uh, mature. Because I was there. I was. Oh, me too. too. I I was always the guy that was like, man, why are the neighbors shooting that? Or, you know, I want to shoot bigger deer. And it's. Yep. Yeah. And now I'm going to be 34 here soon. And, and, uh, you know, I've I've waved bye-bye to that little dickhead about 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, It just you 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 if you're upset at that stuff then then you're the problem really you know what i mean it's they're just having fun and you're missing out you know and once you can the sooner you can realize that the more fun you're gonna have and uh but yeah i definitely definitely agree um i guess i'm kind of i'm i've hit all my questions um trying to look through my notes here uh, I okay. I've got one here. It might be a little broad, but in your opinion, what would be the best time during the fall? And I know this is very situational, but for you, what is the best time during the fall to check your cameras?
1: Well, I will check. Um, and this is kind of goes against the grain of everything that we've talked about thus far. But during the rut, um, I'll get a couple of scenarios. So during the rut, I will check my cameras. As often as I need to to be confident in an area or spot, I think that um, you know deer are they'll tolerate a whole lot more during you know the first two weeks, the third week, three weeks of November versus you know the earlier part of October. So you know with that, I will check my cameras as often as needed through the rut. Um, backing up, I will always pull cards and check cameras around the August twentieth date. Um, I've heard this this Mark Drury talk about the date of August 18th with deer or bucks returning uh, to their fall range around that August 16th to August 20th timeframe. Yep. And I've heard him talk about that multiple times, and I've seen that happen on more than one occasion with our cameras um, on specific deer. So I've always used that August 20th kind of as a benchmark. So that would be my first kind of tail end check going into the fall. Okay. And then – and then really, um, trying to figure out that shift once bucks go uh, hard horned either you know they break up from their velvet velvet uh, velvet groups yep and kind of relocate a little bit so typically that first or last I'm sorry that last weekend prior to season, I like to at least give myself a seven day buffer and usually I'm not hunting in the early season a whole lot anyways, but um, seven days prior to the season, I'll go in and check so there's usually a 30 day span between august 20th and you know the end of september whenever i'm going to check cameras Um, and then from you know through october i'm not really checking cameras a whole lot unless i have a really good um a really good weather day to check cameras on which essentially would be a crappy day to hunt or (laughs) whatnot um or if it's an area that i can just get into and i know how it's it's just clean access um but a lot of that too is You know, if you have cameras on the edge of fields or food sources and you're not being intrusive, it's probably okay to go check those a little more frequent than going trouncing through, um, you know, staging areas or stuff that's tight to bedding. Um, As long as, you know, you're not blowing your scent everywhere, I think that you're okay. And then towards the late season, I get more conservative. You know, deer have been pressured. They've been bumped around. They've been moved around. They know they're being hunted. Um, So I'm really just trying to check cameras every, maybe every couple weeks at the most if on a, on a target deer if he's still alive. Um, but typically it can even go a little bit longer than that and only go in and check those. Um, when I'm, when I'm going in to hunt, because yep. a lot of times in the big woods, I'm, I have cameras set up, you know, within bow range of, of where I'm hunting. So, um, I try to put those, make, have good access to those cameras. I'll check them on my way in to, to hunt that stand or that location.
0: Yep. I got gotcha. you. That's, all oh, great information because, and I know it could be very situational. That's more broad strokes, I'm guessing, of yeah. what you're doing um, because I, I kind of do the same thing. If I've got a camera, I, I don't know, maybe it helps me, maybe it hurts me more, I don't know, but I tend to put more cameras like right by my stand locations or in areas that I know I'm going to be hunting that I could just, you know, as I walk by, pull the camera out and everything. I don't know if that's helpful or hurtful, I don't know, but sometimes I will say I, I do latch on sometimes depending on how the, the flow of the season's going, I can latch on to, you know, oh, I'm not going to go to that stand because there's no bucks on camera or, you know, no bucks that I want to go after when it's really like, you know, you're only picking up so much of what that camera's seeing. So it's like, exactly. I do, it just depends on how the flow of the seasons going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how long you've been grinding it out and That's have it. you killed a deer or not? So
1: yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: But, well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thank you very much. Um, Hopefully your experience was an experience. I hope I know you've done a lot of podcasts and and uh, you have a podcast yourself. But I hopefully uh, everything I asked wasn't too tough, and um, hopefully we can do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Aaron. I'd I'd uh, I'd love to. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Before we do get you know off here, I do want you to shout out everything Exodus where they can find all your content, where they can buy your cameras. Direct everybody to that right now.
1: Okay. So throughout social, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, it's just at Exodus Troll Cameras. Um, our website is exodusoutdoorgear.com. And then the uh, <clears throat> the podcast is Troll Cam Radio, found you know wherever you download podcasts.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you very much, Chad. I greatly appreciate it, and hopefully we can do this again. Absolutely. There you have it. Another great episode. Chad, thank you very much for coming out and doing this. We'll have to get a part two lined up here soon and uh, get you on to do some more talking. So thank you very much. And also, everybody, thank you again for all the downloads, all the support. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave a written review. Just type it in there. You don't physically write it, but, I mean, you do with, with the keyboard, you know, that, if that makes sense. Go in there and type out a written review. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you guys very much. Also, tell a friend if you really like the ep- or like this episode and the podcast the 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 word of mouth is uh, a very strong thing, and I, I appreciate everybody doing that. So, With that being said, I'm going to cut everyone loose here. Thank you guys very much, and don't forget, next week we'll be right here on the Fall Podcast.